You ready? 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 One, two, three, four! features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. 
Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we talk nothing but sports for the duration of the show. Uh, I am your host, Steve, and as always, I, I have Lou and I have Diane joining us tonight. Uh, a programming note for next week's Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, we will not be doing Sports Whispers Weekly next week due to, uh, well, unfortunately, I have to attend what they call sensitivity training, apparently, for an incident that uh, that took place at my uh at my work over uh well not this past week but last week so they have basically scheduled a sensitivity training of some sorts for uh something that ended up taking place uh right before school school break so um we will be off the air next Saturday night however uh we are on tonight and for those who are wondering about the Survivor Podcast, the Survivor Podcast will be live Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on blogtalkradio.com slash missyae uh, for the Survivor 44 recap podcast. Uh, but Lou and Diane, how are you two doing tonight? All right. Thank you very much. I'm doing good, Steve. Thanks for the whole show. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I... Uh, What's it called? Um, luckily, I was able to stay for as long as I was. Uh, yeah. Then my phone and my phone was uh, was almost on dead, so I had to I had to disconnect in order to charge it. Right, because you know we're covering a lot of baseball, and I figured you know you being the Red Sox fan, I thought you know here's the tape and all of that. I mean, it is the first week of spring training, so I figured, hey. Why not? Yeah, it is. It is the it is the first week of spring training, and. Honestly, I got to tell you, because obviously, you know, this is going to be one of the topics we're going to discuss tonight. Um, I got to tell you, it's, <laughs> it, it, they look like the same Red Sox that they were last year, which is they absolutely suck. And anytime yeah. they get a lead, uh, granted it's spring training, but usually – you get a good glimpse of what of what you're gonna have for a roster during spring training, and I gotta tell you, this is a team that struggled to beat Northeastern yesterday. If they if they struggle to beat a fucking college team, how do you think that? How do you think they're going? And let's let's uh. Let's rewind this a little bit. They played yeah. that college. They played that college team with their starting lineup for this oh, year. No. Oh boy! If you can't beat that, you are going to have a horrible season to come. I can tell you that right now. How come? A college team. I cry out loud. A college team. I mean, okay. think about it. It's, yeah, it's, what is it's college. The Red Sox? <laughs> It's college players going up against major leaguers. And right, so what's wrong with the Red Sox that they can't beat a college team? 
Well, no, they did beat. They did. They did end up beating them. But the fact is, it's a college team. You should massacre them. You shouldn't yes. just narrowly beat them. Right. So why didn't they massacre them? <laughs> oh, I wish I knew. Just yeah, Diane, I'm guessing I you don't I know. I'm guessing I mean, you don't they're, know. I mean, the, the college season is heating up right now because they're getting started with with their season. So right. Yeah. So every every yeah. year, everything is that some teams do play against college teams just like an exhibition show. Wow. Yeah, that, that's that's what that's what they usually do. Uh, what they yeah. usually do for every for every spring training, uh, usually the first two games are against local colleges around uh, around that that team's specific area. Like for example, Boston, they usually do Boston College, and usually Northeastern is the second one that right. Boston Why? usually does. Why they play college games? Tradition. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, like it's, it's basically it's like the playing NGIT, but then again, uh, never mind, never mind. That's Is NGIT bad? Usually the co- you, usually the college matchups are so that uh, the you know the the regular starters can get an early. Uh, you know, an, an an early start basically to spring training mm-hmm. because usually in the early in the early games of spring training, usually you see more of the uh, more of the players that might be fighting for a spot or players that you know prospects that they want to get a look at. Uh, that's mm-hmm. usually what you see in the early games of uh, of spring training, and I mean honestly, they. They had a five nothing lead on Northeastern, and they end up giving up three goal, or they end up giving up giving up three runs uh, before the because uh, it was a shortened seven inning game, uh, yeah. and they end up they ended up uh, giving up three runs before uh, finally finishing them off in the seventh inning. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it's. It, it, it's honestly pathetic when you're looking at when you're looking at it from a uh, from yeah. a Boston Red Sox fans' point of view. You know, this is a, 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 was, in these college teams. Only, you're was it only scheduled for seven, or was it called after uh, seven innings? Is it something else, or was it scheduled for that? No, it was scheduled. It was scheduled. Okay, uh, the college that. games, the college games are usually scheduled for seven innings. That's what I thought. Yeah, and that's what that's what ultimately ended up uh, ended up happening was they did uh, they did seven innings, and Boston somehow managed to survive and 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 beat Northeastern five to three. Then today came around, and that was a completely different story. Boston, oh, yeah. Boston got out to well. They scored three in the top of the eighth. It was it was six to three heading into the ninth, heading into the bottom of the ninth, six to three. Boston, if I recall correctly, ended up walking in a couple of batters. Yes. And ultimate, or actually, yeah, wait a minute, let me get this right. Uh, okay, no. So, uh, Boston ended or. 
Atlanta ended up singling in a run, which sent somebody else to third. Then another person walked, which loaded the bases. They then walked in a batter, which then made it six to five. They walked another batter, which made it six to six. And this was all with one out. I was expecting, okay, here we go. Here comes the walk-off. Who's going to get the walk-off hit? And nope, lo and behold, the uh, the reliever that they then brought in ended up getting a strikeout on four pitches. Yep. And then they ended up striking out uh, – well, I shouldn't even call it a strikeout because it was considered an automatic strikeout. Uh, On a a 3-2 count to end the game, an automatic strikeout because the batter wasn't alert enough is the explanation that was given, that the batter wasn't, wasn't alert enough in the batter's box, and thus strike three was given. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't worry too much about being a preseason game. I mean, you know, it didn't mean anything. No, obviously not. But you yeah. know, like I, like I, like I said earlier, though, Lou, uh, usually the preseason is kind of a good indication of what you're going to get, of what you're going, uh, like what to expect from certain players. And I got to tell you, Bobby Dalbeck, he looked very good. Uh, he started off the game on back-to-back hits, a double, and then a, and then a home run. Uh, so maybe perhaps uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of wondering. We brought this up on on your show, Lou, earlier. Was uh, what what effect will this pitch clock have on the game? Will oh, it be boy, good? For, major effect. You don't have time. Like, you don't have time to mess around. You got you to get you know yourself in gear. You got eight seconds. Get yourself in gear. But they do have one timeout, I think, for, for like, you got to use timeout probably too. You know, so you don't have these stories. It's got to take some time to get used to, though. I can, I can tell you that. Because one of the teams so far, I mean, there's been two violations in the first two days of spring training. Right. They've got their work it up. they got to really work on this. They're going to avoid it, you know, once the regular season begins. I can just imagine how many violations would be accounted for um, by the time uh, the All-Star break rolls around. Well, it's going to be played 162 violations. You know, I'm sure they will be abundant, but you know, you know what though? Uh, this may actually help pitchers out, and the reason oh. being, and, and more in particular, it may help starting pitchers out because uh-huh. the more the more balls or uh, the more automatic balls or strikes that get called, yeah. it means one less pitch that they will have thrown. Right. So technically. Depending on how many times this ends up happening in a game, you could potentially see you could potentially see starters go maybe one extra inning. Like for example, uh, when who was it? Was it Kershaw that had that opportunity to get a no hitter and they, and he ended up being taken out after eight innings? Yes. Well, imagine yeah. imagine if they had the pitch clock, if they had that pit, uh, that pitch clock in effect, and you know something sim- something ended up happening to where maybe you know maybe he hadn't thrown as many pitches because of any automatic calls of balls or strikes. 
you know, it's it's entirely possible that maybe perhaps he would have been brought out for that ninth inning. Mm-hmm. So that I think that could be a potential kind of effect that it may have on yeah. on the game itself, to where pitchers may may be able to last longer because, let's face it, you know they're not throwing that for those automatic uh, balls or strikes. They're not actually throwing those pitches. Now, as far as batters go, I mean, I, it's, I, think it's, I think we've seen quite a bit of a difference already because this is actually, yep. this is actually rushing pitchers. Yeah. It's rushing them to have to get back into their windup and, you know, essentially think on the fly. You know, okay, what pitch am I going to throw next? Am I going to throw a fastball, a curve, a changeup? Uh and meanwhile, the batter, you know, the the batter doesn't have to spend all that time uh, standing there at the plate wondering, okay, what's he going to throw? This yeah. could actually help batters out tremendously. You know, we could see a potential increase in power, in power numbers. Hmm. All right, what are your thoughts on that, Lou? You know, could we see uh, increased production on both sides? Potentially from this, I would like more. I like to see that, and I'm, I am more a fan of offense. So, it's, you know, but like I said, they don't have time to fool around. That's the thing I think they worry about. You know, you only get you know 15 seconds of nobody on, 20 seconds when there is somebody on, and you got to get ready for eight seconds. So you really got to you really got to get your act together, or else there's going to be a lot more of these violations. So that's what you got to work on. You know, there's no time to wait around. Yeah. Well, no, not really yet. No. Diane, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Diane? Do you think uh, we could see an increase on both sides, on uh, not just from the pitchers, but also from the hitters uh, with the sure. clock uh, rule? Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yeah, I th- I think it's definitely uh you know, I, I know it's I know it's drawn a bit of criticism uh from from different uh from different you know, media members or whatnot. But I think this could actually be pretty beneficial for the for the for the league in general, uh or for the sport I should say. Because think about it. The, the mo- uh, most of the games that have played so far, they've gone on average about two and a half hours, right? Which is pretty low, considering you know the average that we that we've been used to uh, to well, watching these games play out for. Well, see, that would be this way. In the 1970s, that was the average time. Well, yeah, before they ended up doing all this other stuff. Exactly. So this is trying to be like more like recapping back back in the 70s. The good old days of baseball. Yeah, but you, you know, I mean, it's 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 actually kind of good that this is out there because I I can't tell you how infuriating it it was to watch yeah. to watch games that would that would seemingly go on forever, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that oh, a pitcher would would refuse to throw a pitch uh, for like two minutes. Because they kept on, they like they kept on waving off uh, uh, suggestions from the catcher. Yeah. 
Hey, listen, Logan, sell my dates. Oh, okay. Oh, boy. Never mind. Oh, and as far, as, far as, you know, as far as you know, the actual, the actual uh, pitch clock, uh, 20 seconds, you know, that makes sense for runners on base because obviously you do have to account for, uh, you know, runners that may, that may potentially end up trying to steal. So I think that I think that does make a that does make sense. I know uh former major leaguer uh, Will Middlebrooks, uh formerly of the Boston Red Sox, he suggested that it should be a 20 a 20 second limit period, not just for runners on base. I remember uh, I I ended up reading it earlier today on his Twitter page that he he believes that it should be a 20-second clock, uh, regardless of whether or not there's men on base. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I, I guess it yeah. would, I guess it would make sense though, Lou, because I mean, think about sure. it. The NBA has a 24-second clock. Right. Yes. Football has a play clock you know, too. The NFL has a. The NFL has a. What is it? 40 35. seconds. I think it's 35. 35 now, okay. A 35-second clock. Does the NHL have a clock? No, they mm-hmm. do not. Mm-hmm. The NHL, uh, well, it's different with the NHL because with the NHL, you know, you're constantly moving. Right. You're constantly moving. So it's it's really hard to have any sort of clock. The only clock that they have, obviously, is the, you know, the, how much time is left in the period. But yeah, right. Apart from that, yeah. Apart, you know, apart from that, there's not nothing, nothing else really that that they have in the NHL. Uh, speaking of which, right now I'm actually watching the uh, the Bruins and the uh, Canucks. Canucks just scored on a Brock Besser goal, so it's now two to one Boston, uh, with about twelve and a half minutes left in the and game. On the Devils Phillies game, the Devils Flyers game right now, actually. Oh, you know what? Who is winning the Devils Flyers game? I guess whatever goes, I want to know the answer. Devils, Devils, uh, three nothing. Yay! Actually, got everything all set up. You know, I got on this. I well, I'm using two computers now to keep you know one to keep track of the scores and one to keep track of this. And now it's four nothing Devils. Okay. Yay Devils! And you know uh, what? Steve, uh, I'm a Devils fan in case you didn't know oh. that. <laughs> No, yeah, I no I no I know, but I I have some news for you too regarding the Devils because yeah. uh we're going to go into the NHL trade talks right now yeah. and the Devils are at the forefront of one of the big names on the market. In particular, um, in particular it, it involves a star right winger Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks. Yeah. Who oh. is set to be a uh, who is set to be a free agent? Uh, I think he's a restrict. He might be a restricted free agent. I think so. Uh, so the Devils, you know, would have first opportunity to uh, to negotiate with him if they were if he were to be a free agent under the Devils instead of the instead of the Sharks. Uh, but they're not the only team though that's in on Timo Meyer because. Uh, the St. Louis Blues, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Buffalo Sabres all have different degrees of interest in Meyer. But 
it does sound like the New Jersey Devils are the front runners for his services. If he if they want him. Oh right. no, they want him. They want him. Okay. Period. <laughs> yeah. So, because uh, they they have been looking to try and upgrade their uh, their top six forwards. Uh, obviously, you know, with with other teams like Boston and uh, and Toronto making moves around the league, uh, they want to try and keep up. So, and also the Rangers, which, by the way, I have news on the Rangers coming up in yep. a bit. Uh, yep. But Timo My- Timo Meyer, so far through fifty seven games, he has thirty one goals and twenty one assists for fifty two points. So. Uh, there has been talks that Dawson Mercer might have to be part of the deal to bring in Timo Meyer, which, uh, from the sounds of things, it's going to be a pretty steep price that New that New Jersey's probably going to have to pay in order to mm-hmm. bring in Timo Meyer. Uh, Dawson yeah. Mercer, in particular, uh, 18 goals, 20 assists in 38 game, or I mean, in 58 games played this year so far for the Devils. Uh, but in my opinion, I think if they were to, if they were to add somebody like Meyer in exchange for, for Mercer, I think it would be a necessary sacrifice for the devils because Meyer is the type of scorer that is, that is probably going to be able to take that. I mean, he would slot right immediately on the top line and Mm -hmm. he will basically take that New Jersey offense to the to the next level. Mhm. Yeah. And actually, Timo Meyer has not been playing uh, due to an upper body injury the last oh, couple of games. Right there, right there. I don't think the Devils are going long. I'm glad they haven't been playing. But oh, I don't think the Devils the are going to trade Mercer for Meyer because Meyer hasn't been playing. Uh, well, there might be a little bit more to that actually, because uh Meyer is has been has been said to have a minor injury which is it's basically an injury that he could that he could probably play through uh but it sounds like they may be holding him out due to the fact that he is involved in trade talks, but it's an injury yeah, I don't that think he the could are while him though. Because he hasn't been playing. <laughs> but I can be wrong. Well, all I know is they're at the forefront. Okay. I mean, Lou, let's go, let's go to you. What what kind of impact do you think Timo Meyer would have on the New Jersey Devils when, when they're in the middle of a playoff uh, push right now for the first time in God knows how many yeah. years? Uh, could Timo Meyer could Timo Meyer propel them into uh, full on Stanley uh, Stanley Cup uh, uh, contention? No, the Bruins are anything to say about it. You know, in that case, probably not. But I think we're going to get in the conference finals. I mean, you know, unless the Bruins totally collapse, which I don't see happening, um, you know, but. I think he'll make. I think he'll make a good asset to the Devils. I mean, based on how they've done so far this season, so you know he's he'd be a welcome addition. And for probably getting a Stanley Cup, that might be pushing him just a little bit. Well, New Jersey does sit in second place in the Metropolitan Division behind the Carolina Hurricanes right now by only five points. So, 
they do still have the opportunity to uh, to make up ground because right now it looks like they would be matching up with the New York Rangers in the first round. Which honestly, if this uh, if this that. rumored if this rumored trade that I'm hearing about goes through, uh, you oh, yeah. may not want to face the Rangers in the first round. I know. Because, Ryan, what's going on? Uh, well, it looks like the New York Rangers may be on the verge of acquiring three-time Stanley Cup champion Patrick Kane from the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes. Okay. Love it. And this is kind of, not to mention they already have acquired uh, Vladimir Tarasenko from the St. Louis Blues. So you acquire an all-star in Tarasenko or an all-star caliber player, and then you would acquire another all-star caliber player in Patrick Kane. Now, granted, Patrick Kane's having a bit of a down year this year uh, compared to other seasons that he's had. Also, that has to do... Yeah, but that also has to do with the fact that Chicago sucks this year, too. So That's what I mean. So, uh, I mean, 16 goals, 29 assists, and 45 or and 45 points in 54 games played for Patrick Kane on the Blackhawks. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's it's fairly obvious that Chicago – they suck as a whole this year. So, uh, if anything, you know, Patrick Kane's probably their top contributor out there this season. And mm-hmm. – my understanding is it's going to cost quite a bit for uh, for the Rangers to acquire Patrick Kane. But if they do, though, Are they gonna boy, oh, boy. Tarasenko? <laughs> uh, no, they're not going to give up Tarasenko after just acquiring oh. him. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, all I know is that that, that top six for uh, New York is going to look very scary. I know. When you have when you have uh, Mika Zibanejad and oh, wait a minute, actually, you know what? I should bring up the uh, I should bring up the Rangers uh, roster here so that I get a better so that I don't know exactly who I'm talking about when it comes to uh, when it comes to the lineups. When you have a first line that consists of Kreider. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah, hang on. Kreider, Zabinajad, and Panarin. And you have a second line that consists of... Wait a minute. Hang on. That consists of Lafreniere. Is it Scheidel that's the second one? Yeah, wow. Okay, I guess Scheidel is the, is the second line center. Uh, Chidal and then Tarasenko. I mean, that's a that's a pretty frightening second line uh, to begin with. Now you have that first line. Although I don't know though, it might be Trocheck. Maybe Trocheck is the second line center. Yeah, I think Trocheck is the second line center. Uh, regardless, though, that top six is pretty scary. Just look at just looking at it from from another from the perspective of a of a fan of another team. However, though, I think 
New York might be making a mistake not uh, not looking at their defense, not potentially, uh, you know, beefing up their defense a little bit because my understanding is their defense hasn't been as good this year as it has in, in previous years. So that could that could potentially be something that, uh, you know, that may derail them potentially in the playoffs. Yeah, and we do have a uh, we do have an update with MLS uh, starting back up today. We do have a update in the New England Revolution game. Henry Kessler has put the Revolution ahead of Charlotte one nil with uh, extra time in extra time, I should say, right now. So it looks like New England is on their way to a uh, to their first win of the season in their first game. Uh, let's see. Going back to the trade to to uh, the NHL in terms of trades, the Boston Bruins have been pretty busy. Yeah, they're, I mean they're already you know they're already on pace to potentially set the new record for uh, for points in the for. Uh, you know, not well, not just points in the season, but also the best record period. Well, what I was hearing from the from one of the players, now like they don't really care about that. You know, no, you can you can have a great regular season, of course, and then flounder in the first and second round of the playoffs. I mean, it's happened before. I mean, it happened to Tampa Bay. I mean, they cruised through the regular season, or what, and they and they lost in the first round in a sweep. So, but he said the regular season it doesn't mean much. You know, exactly. The, the present, the mm. present trophy means nothing. Winning the cup is what it's all about. Exactly. Yeah, that's that, that's definitely uh, the the only thing that matters. Obviously, at the end of the day, is is winning the Stanley Cup, uh, yeah. which which is obviously, I think, you know, with the move that Boston made the other day, I think it's uh, I think it's looking. Uh, it, it's it, you know, it shows the players that. Uh, this that management actually believes that they can win the cup this year by sending out forward Craig Smith along with their first round pick in this year's draft, their second uh-huh. round pick in 2025, and their third round pick in 2024. In exchange, they bring in Stanley Cup winning defenseman Dmitry Orlov and my team also, firm. Uh, Washington. Okay. The Washington Capitals. And also uh, fourth-line mm-hmm. agitator Garnet Hathaway, who has been one of the best uh, four-line defensive – fourth-line defensive players in the last decade in the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I team mean, you want to – Washington. Oh, Washington bringing two Washington players. Yeah, but here's here's the genius in this whole thing. Now, Orlov has a cap hit of five point one million. So you have to wonder how could Boston possibly put that into fit that into their uh, into their current roster when considering. You know they're they barely have any cap space as it is. 
Well, the deal turned into a three-team deal where first Orlov was traded from Washington to Minnesota, and Washington had retained 50% of Orlov's contract. Then they ended up trading – then uh, Minnesota then traded Orlov to Boston while retaining 25% of his contract that they were uh, on the hook for. So literally 75% of Orlov's remaining salary is being taken up by two other teams while Boston is only on the hook for the remaining 25% which is about like 300-something thousand dollars. So if anything, Boston didn't gain any salary space. Or, I I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't gain any any salary. They actually lost salary. That created even more space for them, if anything. So if they wanted to go out and make another move before Friday's deadline, they can do that if they want to. And Lou, it was it was stated by one of the analysts at TSN. They do not see any holes anymore in this Boston lineup. Mm. With the addition of Orlov and also Hathaway. Wait a minute, and in my opinion, Canada. Uh, TSN, yeah, that's out of Canada. Uh, yeah, they well, do. They can just the American team. I mean, let's say they're own their own teams. Well, no, yeah, but the, also at the same time, they cover. You know, they don't just cover uh, Canadian teams. They also uh, they also talk about news from all around the league, if anything. Okay. I TSN Toronto's Toronto Sports Network. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But. Uh, but still, but still, though, Lou, uh, what what are your thoughts on Boston going out and basically you could say they're they're essentially going all in on this season by well, this season they're having why not by paying such a hefty price? Yeah, well, they're doing something right. I mean, they've been unstoppable all year, so to go all in, they're not really risking anything. I mean, they're shooting, of course, make the playoffs. They're most likely going to make at least the conference final. So going all the way to this stage in the season, sure. Why not? So if they so if they make the conference finals, that first round pick is basically going to be at worst thirtieth overall. Right. Or no? Wait a minute. No, twenty ninth overall at worst. So. West. Uh. Or no, I, I'm sorry. At best, it'll be 29th overall. At yeah. worst, okay. Depend depending on where they finish. If they end up winning the cup, they'll they'll be it'll be the final pick of the first round. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it would be it would be uh, 32nd overall of the of mm-hmm. the first round. Mm-hmm. Which. To me, that's basically the equivalent of an early second-round pick, essentially. 
Now I've heard, you know, I've heard some people com- uh, complain that, oh, but it's a stacked draft. Mm-hmm. Like, you could get you could get somebody at number forty that has the talent of somebody that would be picked at number ten in this year's draft. Which, okay, but at the same time, this is a year where it might be Patrice Bergeron's final year. It might be David Krejci's final year in the league. He is going to get And consider, considering the fact that, they're, that uh, they're on such a huge role that they're on right now, wouldn't it make sense for them to go all in? I still don't see why not. I mean, you know, where they're going, you know, I, I really think, you know, that they would go all in. Oh, my God, Jeremy. Are you serious? Oh. No, it wasn't Jeremy. Oh, my God. We just had a goaltender goal in the Very NHL. Rare. Very rare. The First, the first Bruins goaltender in team history to score a goal, Linus Olmark, all the way from the other end of the ice, scores on the empty net. Wow. You don't see that very often. Yeah, you don't see that very often. The last time that actually happened, I believe, was in the, was in the AHL that that happened it was uh it was Joel Hoffer of the Springfield Thunderbirds uh the the affiliate the AHL affiliate of the St. Louis Blues that was the last time that that had happened and now it has wow so Boston is going to is going to defeat Vancouver 3 to 1 here and by the way good news for the Devils uh, Carolina lost three to two tonight in regulation. So the Devils Who have a Who is Carolina to, uh, playing against? Uh, Anaheim. Good news for the Devils. The, the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, the, uh, they were facing the Anaheim Ducks, a team that everybody expected uh, Carolina to absolutely destroy tonight. And uh-huh. with the win. Or I mean, with the loss, and assuming New Jersey doesn't completely screw up their uh, their remaining game tonight, I mean it's six it's nothing with four minutes left. Uh, mm-hmm. New Jersey's going to pick up two points in the standings, so they'll only be three behind uh, Carolina now. Okay. But wow, I I can't believe I just saw that. A goaltender goal that never happens. I feel happen I mean, yeah, but it's very rare though that it happens. Marty's done wow. three times. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just stunned right now that that uh, that even just happened right now, but. Uh, regardless, though, uh, wow. All right. Uh, there are a couple more trades that have happened so far this week. Uh, Ottawa, they were kind of busy. They traded center Tyler Mott 
to the New York Rangers in exchange for Julian Gauthier and a sixth-round pick. Uh, Ottawa then traded defenseman Nikita Zaitsev along with a second-round pick this year and a sixth-round pick, or I mean a fourth-round pick in 2026 to the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange, and this is a head-scratcher, for future considerations. Explain this to me, Lou. Why do you trade a package like that for future considerations? That is kind of weird, isn't it? You know, I don't, that's something I wouldn't do. I mean, you're basically <laughs> giving away a guy and prospects or, or and picks for free. Why? <laughs> I Maybe. Can't, I can't even. Um, what do you What do you think, Diane? Maybe the they'll decide who they want down the line, and that Maybe. person will be really good. It's possible. I mean, it's possible, I guess, but obviously, it would have to be completed before the deadline. So maybe. You better hurry up. Maybe right. they have something. Maybe they have something in mind, but are trying to put together other pieces. Uh, that maybe that uh, the the Blackhawks are trying to put together other pieces and acquire somebody else who they then would flip over to Ottawa. Yeah, yeah that must be it. <laughs> yeah, but keep in mind, buddy, the deadline is Friday. Yeah, that's the thing. The I deadline so is From the sounds of it, from from the sounds of it too, it does sound like it's going to be a buyer's market as opposed to a seller's market. So the prices of uh, of different players are going to be going down, if anything. I mean, Diane, when you think about, I mean, because the NBA actually has already passed. And you know they're playing the NHL, and they already had their, and they're also getting later. So we not only have about oh let's say about six weeks left before the playoff begins. So actually it's kind of late in the season to have a trade deadline. Oh wow. Yeah, it is actually kind of late in the season because normally the deadline is usually at the halfway mark, isn't it? Which makes a lot of sense. Because why would you wait home? early March to make a trade deadline when your season ends in mid-April. Right. By the way, uh, with his his win tonight, Linus Olmark becomes the second goaltender in NHL history, or I should say the second fastest goaltender in NHL history to 30 wins in a season. The The only player that bested him was Tiny Thompson, of the Boston Bruins back in 1929 and 1930 that got there just two games yeah. quicker. Wow. But. Something that I didn't even uh, Patrick Watt anyone do or Marty Brodeur. Uh, actually, you know what? Wah and Brodeur aren't even in the top ten. Wah. Really? That I find hard to believe. For for goaltender for quickest goaltenders to thirty wins in a season, 
Uh, or actually, no, never mind, because the only one I'm looking at is uh, only has eight names. They're they're not in the top eight. They have Tiny Thompson with 35 games. Linus Allmark took 37. Uh, then you have a four-way tie with Braden Holtby of the of the Washington Capitals, formerly of the Washington Capitals back in 2015-2016. He had 38 games. Uh, Chris Osgood of the Detroit Red Wings from 95 to 96 had 38 games. Uh, Eddie Johnston of the Boston Bruins from the 1970-1971 season took 38 games. Uh, Bill Dernan of the Montreal Canadiens from 94 from 44 to 45 took 38 games. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky of the Tampa Bay Lightning from a couple of years ago took 39 games. I think that was the year that they that they set the uh that they set the record or that they that they had that huge uh that huge season where they got they got bounced in the first round after uh yeah. And then you have uh Pekka Rene from Nashville in 2014 oh, and 2015 yeah. with 39 games as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Patrick Waugh and Marty Brodeur aren't even in the top eight for fastest goaltenders to 30 uh, to 30 wins in the, the season. Their first, the Devils in their uh, few in their first few years of existence, and they weren't that good. So yeah, I get it because they weren't that good when he first came in. Yeah. True. The Pope plainly died back then they were what Tara calls a dumpster fire. Then they were. Okay, when they get good. Uh after nineteen eighty eight. Oh gosh. And when Rodura stole the goalie then. <laughs> Rodura was just starting out. Oh gosh. But he wasn't the he wasn't, you know, the superstar that he became. Man, he didn't start off that way, maybe he came that way. Right. He got better as he went along. Right. Uh, let's see. Some of the other notable uh, transactions from this week. Uh, St. Louis, they claimed right-wing Casperi Kapanen off of waivers from the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, this might not seem like a big thing, but... Looking at Casperi Kapanen's numbers, seven goals and 13 assists in 20 games played, making me wonder why Pittsburgh would even put him on waivers and not try yeah. to trade him. I mean, they could have they could have probably gotten something for him if they had just tried to trade him. But instead. Uh, well, he didn't really have to travel far because Pittsburgh was playing St. Louis today. So basically, he just switched lockers, or he switched locker rooms. Uh, let's see. Boston was also still uh, in the uh, trading mood today as they traded goaltender Keith Kincaid, formerly of the New Jersey Devils and also the New York Rangers. Uh, to the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for former first-round pick Shane Bowers. 
Shane Bowers has basically been primarily stuck in the AHL uh, this year. Well, actually, the the last couple of years. Finally got the opportunity to debut in the NHL, but then he ended up getting injured in that very same game. So after that, he was then sent right back down to the AHL. But uh, Colorado, they get some goaltending depth, and Boston, they add a uh, – they add a free uh, a free young player in return. Uh, this one just went into effect a little bit ago. The New York Rangers they traded right winger Vitali Kravtsov to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for William Lockwood and a seventh round pick in the year 2026. So basically, New York was essentially just trying to dump him. Well, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that, uh, there was a, there was a worry amongst teams that he would prod, you know, that he would, uh, that he would skip town and end up going back to the KHL. The which KHL? is over the Russian hockey league guy. Yeah, okay. which is which is over which is over in uh what what is it what is it Lou uh, Europe or or is it uh, Russia? Russia. Oh, okay. Yeah, over in over in Russia. But I mean, Kravtsov, he's really just been a fourth liner this year that's been sparingly used. Uh, he has three goals, three assists in 28 games played this year so far. Uh, yeah, hasn't you know he hasn't really been used if at all. So, you know, uh, there would have been a market for him, but teams have been worried that he would just jump town uh, after the season and go back to the KHL. So uh, that's why teams haven't been willing to take a flyer on him. And that's also why uh, his price was so low. For, uh, for Vancouver to acquire him. And the last trade to report, unless we get, of course, any other, uh, any other trades coming through tonight, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, they acquired winger Nino Niederreiter from the mm-hmm. Nashville Predators in exchange for a second-round pick in next year's draft, which is, in my opinion, a very, very good deal for the Winnipeg Jets. Mm-hmm. I mean, Niederreiter has been one of the, like if you're looking for, for depth scoring, Niederreiter is probably one of the guys you would want to have. Uh, 18 goals, 10 assists uh, in 56 games this year for the Nashville Predators. And now he goes to Winnipeg as they look to, I believe they're in, I could be wrong, but I believe they're in uh, they're in contention for the playoffs. Could be. Yeah, let me look real quick. Uh, yeah, they're actually they're second in the central, so yeah, they're in firmly right now a playoff spot. So that's a pretty big get for Winnipeg. And I mean, second round pick to Nashville. Nashville's rebuilding, so 
they're pretty much I, I wouldn't be surprised, even though they're twenty eight, twenty two and six, uh they stand about seven points out of a playoff spot. I wouldn't be surprised if we if you see them become sellers uh at the deadline on Friday. Uh let's see. We did have uh hell, I, I have no idea why why this guy is even still a coach. Uh, St. Louis Blues coach, uh, and not just uh, any coach, but also a Stanley Cup winning coach, uh, Craig Berube, called out the Blues following their overtime loss to the Canucks earlier this week. Uh, He ended up saying that St. Louis's top players don't play with any passion, no emotion, and no inspiration at all. That's not how much of a team. Now the Blues uh, at the time that this was uh, that this was written up, they were twenty six, twenty eight, and four, and they had lost their fourth straight game since they traded uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Acciari to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They had a two goal lead in the third period, and they blew it, which then, uh, including allowing the tying goal with twenty nine seconds remaining in regulation. And Barubi said a lot of our best players are not doing the job. And when he when he was asked why, he said, I don't know. You have to ask them. They don't care about the team. I don't know. Not sure why. And well, since that trip. Does this guy care about the team? He should. He's a coach. Right, but does he, though? Mm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is his way of trying to get them motivated, but yeah. you don't you don't shit talk your own team that you're a coach of. Exactly. I don't think he. I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares. But then again, though, I guess you can't really expect much from a guy who was a goon pretty much his entire NHL career. Right. The guy who uh, a goon, basically a guy who's only out there to uh, to pick fights and log a lot of penalty yeah. minutes, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, he is a Stanley. You know, the the St. Louis Blues have not missed the playoffs once in his to- uh, in his tenure as head coach so far. But it looks like they're probably going to miss it for the first time this uh, this season. Uh, they actually won the Stanley Cup in his first year as their head coach, uh, defeating my Boston Bruins in uh, in seven games. I mean, you know, that, then they lost in the first round uh, in consecutive years after that, and they ended up losing in the second round to Colorado last year. So, I, I, you know, the thing I don't understand, though, is what does he expect when they literally just traded away the heart and soul of their team in Vladimir Tarasenko? And then to, to put the, to put the uh, knife even deeper, they then traded away Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, to me, Lou, I don't, I don't know about you, but to me, you know, if I was a player uh, – that was on that team, and I saw my team making those type of deals. 
that would basically tell me that the owner that the owner doesn't doesn't believe in us basically mm. and i mean you know that that wouldn't really motivate me to do anything right i what, what are your thoughts lou on on craig on craig Berube calling out uh calling out his team what kind of a coach are you that, that trash talks your own team? You're supposed to motivate them, not, try, not, not bring them down. I mean, but this is not the same team that won the cup back in 2019. I mean, it's a completely different team. It's shambles right now. But you don't trash you don't trash on them. You don't treat them like dogs. You know, you got to lift them up. You know, it's your team you're talking about. You know, don't treat them like trash. It's just a, it's just a couple. The other teams, yeah, talk trash them all you want, but on your own. There is, there is no need for that. I get the fact you're struggling or not. And you want to, you know, pick a term and you want to, but don't be like a Bobby Knight and, you know, and go into that. Okay, because that, because that we don't need. Losing records. Sorry. And I, I mean, some of the Blues' and, top players have not performed well since those trades occurred, including Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, uh, Braden Shen, and also defenseman uh, Justin Falk. You know. You haven't really seen uh, a whole bunch of production from those players. Thomas, since the trade, is a minus eight with no points. Uh, Kairou only has one assist, and he's a minus six. Shen has no points and is a minus three. Uh, Falk has a goal and an assist, but he is a minus five since those deals. And uh, forward Alexei Toropochenko, uh, who scored a shorthanded goal uh, before that collapse ended up happening, was also upset after the loss. And he said, even if we are not in a playoff spot, I will do everything. It's a hockey game. You cannot leave, especially if you're playing in the NHL. You're not playing somewhere else in a beer league or something like that. You need to show something. You need to show heart, character, and to be strong everywhere. Just play from your heart. So uh, he also said, I don't know what's going on, but especially for fans, you cannot play like that. Like I said, you need to play for fans, for yourself, for everybody from the team. The team is just one family. It's not only about one guy. You need no. to be a part of it and and to show unit. some respect to each other. You're a whole unit. It's a dope. Now, now Barubi though, did go on to compliment the play of, of some of the younger players, including Taro Pachenko and also 22-year-old defenseman Tyler Tucker, who scored his first NHL goal that night against the Canucks. And also that of Jordan Bennington, their Stanley Cup winning goaltender who made 38 saves, as well as Pavel Buchnevich, who had an assist and was a plus one uh, in 26 and a half minutes of ice time. Uh, however, though, he continued to call out the other top players, uh, saying our best players don't play with any passion, no emotion, and no inspiration at all. Well, they don't play again, inspired hockey. Passion, what are you doing? You know, you do have the motivation and the passion to, to play. What are you doing, play it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of it odd. Too. It's kind of odd, Lou. I mean, he even said you you cannot play in this league without emotion, grit, and being inspired. That's they don't play true. inspired hockey. 
they're getting paid lots of money and they're not doing the job. End of story. That's it. That's what it boils down to. And, you know, originally when I first read this, I thought that, you know, Barubi had finally let the coaching job get to his head. But now that I think, now that I read it over a little bit more and realize that some of the younger players are even saying this, maybe it's not a coaching problem. Maybe it's the maybe the problem is the players. Maybe. Maybe some of the some of those St. Louis Blues may may have just put themselves basically on autopilot and are basically just trying to coast through the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it kind of makes you wonder, Lou, could we, could we see a fire sale take place in St. Louis? Well, I don't want you to turn a fire sale, but it's looking, it's looking like that. I mean, yeah. Ivan Barbashev, he's on the uh he's on the trade market. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, hell, uh, Brendan Saad, I think would pro- I think will probably be on the trade market. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, I mean, there's you know, there there's quite a few players that I believe could potentially hit the trade market here. Including, uh, I know Colton Pareko is one of the one of the names that has come up as well. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of there's a, a whole bunch of names. Tori Krug is another one nice. that has come up potentially for. Uh, I mean, Tori Krug is a minus twenty eight. I have never, even dating back to when he was with Boston, he was never that bad in a season, but he is a, the team has given up 28 more goals than they've scored when he's been on the ice. Just yikes. That's all I've got to say about that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, Lou, if we end up seeing a fire sale from, from St. Louis. Oh, I think we will. I think that's a given. Because I, you know, maybe maybe he is right. You know, maybe uh, maybe Craig Berube is right. Maybe there's just no inspiration whatsoever coming from these players. Well, that seems like that the season is a lost cause. I mean, St. Louis right now they sit about twelve points out of a playoff spot. Uh, uh in the West. So I mean, it's you know it's doable, but. The problem is, is that they're they haven't shown any signs whatsoever of acting like they even want to win. What kind of a team are you? So it's you know it's weird because it seems like it's almost as if maybe that win in 2019 was a fluke. Of them beating the Boston Bruins in the uh, in the Stanley Cup that year, because since then this team has been on a constant downward spiral ever since winning the Stanley Cup. 
It's like they've never. It's like yeah. they never recovered from that Stanley Cup hangover. Essentially. Exactly. They can neither we. But anyways, uh, some of the other scores from around the league tonight. The New Jersey Devils. They did finish off their seven nothing shutout of the Philadelphia Flyers thus officially picking up two points on Carolina as they are now three points behind the Carolina Hurricanes in the Metropolitan Division, uh, following Carolina's 3-2 to two loss at the hands of the Anaheim Ducks. The Ottawa Senators with a 5-2 victory over the Montreal Canadiens. 3-1 uh, for the Boston Bruins over the Vancouver Canucks as Boston improves to 40-11-8. Or, I'm sorry, I'm reading Carolina. Uh, they improved to 46-8-5 on the season, which is good for 97 points. You know, they can clinch a playoffs. Uh, I think I think they, they said, like, it's um, – 19 they need 19 more points or something like that in order to clinch a playoff spot which is weird considering that you know they already have 95 points in the standings you know you wouldn't think you would think that they would already have a playoff spot clinched by now right but i guess that shows just exactly how competitive it is uh in the uh, playoff race uh, so far. No question about it. Uh, let's see. The Pittsburgh Penguins with a 3-2 to two victory over the St. Louis Blues in overtime. Oh, that's not going to look good for uh, for Berube. Uh, Washington with a 6-3 to three victory over the New York Rangers earlier today. And the Columbus Blue Jackets with a 6-5 to five victory over the Edmonton Oilers. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny considering that Columbus, they're firmly I I mean they're they're basically in position right now to get uh Oh my god, who hang on a minute. To get the uh to get the the big prize to get the big prize of the NHL entry draft this upcoming, yeah. uh, which which would be Connor Bedard. Well, their season was over like uh, the second week of the year. Yeah, I, I I don't know for some reason I drew a blank. Like I knew I knew the first name was Connor, but I forgot the last name. Uh, Connor Bedard is projected to be the number one overall player, or the number one overall pick in this year's entry draft. And if you Oh, please, McDavid. That's a whole entire different story. Exactly. Um, Connor McJesus, as we, as some people call him. Right. Uh, but you know, they're firmly in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. But also, uh, they were one of the teams that was blindsided by the Boston Bruins going out and acquiring uh, Dmitry Orlov because this has, a, this has like a lingering effect uh, because there was a deal that was supposedly in place with the Boston Bruins and the Columbus Blue Jackets 
that would have sent Vladislav Gavrikov to the Boston Bruins in exchange for a first-round pick and a third-round pick. And also, I believe a fourth-round pick was also involved. But uh, So basically, that would have netted the Bruins Vladislav Gavrikov, and then the, or the Blue Jackets would then have used those picks to try and acquire Jacob Chitrin from the Arizona Coyotes. The big problem there was that Columbus was not willing to take on any salary, which is why Boston then called up Washington and said, hey, you want to make a deal work? And boom, there we go, Craig. And then Craig Smith was sent out to Washington, and Washington sent out Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway uh, with uh, basically allowing the Bruins to kill two birds with one stone and get both of their needs addressed all in one trade. And that right there was Yarmo Kekalainen of the Columbus Blue Jackets being taken to school by Don Sweeney in the art of deal-making. So how about, th- how about this, uh, Columbus? Maybe next time take on some salary. And maybe you'll get maybe you'll yeah. get the uh, the stuff that you want. So now, what's funny about that though, Lou, is now Washington is going to use those draft picks that Boston gave them to enter themselves into the Jacob Chitrin sweepstakes, and they have the draft assets possible, uh, you know, needed to make that deal happen. So imagine if Washington steals Jacob Chitrin from everybody because of the assets that Boston gave them. I mean, that's going to be funny as hell if that ends up happening. It sure would. Uh, Let's see. Also, uh, just one little, one last tidbit from around the league. Uh, Florida goaltender Spencer Knight is taking a personal leave from the team, uh, and they and uh, he will be getting care from the NHL slash NHL Players Association Player Assistance Program. Uh, he is not believed to be dealing with a drug or alcohol related issue. Uh, there is no timeline for his return. Uh, he was set to be sent down to the AHL's Charlotte Checkers after going 9-8-3 with a 3.18 goals against average and a 90.1 save percentage with one shutout prior to taking his leave with the team. Uh, so now, uh, obviously, this is, you know, this is the same thing that Carey Price ended up, uh, that ended up essentially ending Carey Price's career. Uh, which kind of makes you, you know, it kind of makes you wonder if maybe perhaps uh, there, he's undergoing some mental issues, uh, Spencer and I in particular. But hopefully he gets his, uh, hopefully he gets whatever is troubling him uh, settled, settled uh, as quickly as he possibly can. Yeah. Now let's go to. Oh boy, yeah, this one's a whole entire oh. clusterfuck. So, oh, 
going to college basketball Uh on February 21st, a Tuscaloosa police officer testified that Alabama star forward Brandon Miller brought a firearm to teammate Darius Miles that was used in the fatal shooting of 23-year-old Jamia Jonay Harris in Tuscaloosa earlier that year. According to Miller's attorney, Miles had left the gun in Miller's vehicle after Miller dropped Miles off at a club. As Miller was on his way back to pick up Miles, Miles texted Miller requesting that Miller bring Miles' gun. When Miller arrived, Miles told his friend Michael Davis that the gun was in the vehicle. Davis retrieved the gun and shot into a vehicle in which Harris was a passenger, while Harris's boyfriend returned fire, resulting in two bullets striking Miller's car. Miller's attorney stated that Miller had no knowledge of any intent to use the weapon. According to the police officer's testimony, while Miles and Davis initially lied to officers about the incident, Miller's account of the shooting almost exactly matched what investigators gathered from video evidence and other witness testimony. Uh, Tuscaloosa County Chief Deputy District Attorney Paula Whitley has stated that Miller faces no charges as a result of the incident. Here's my problem. Okay. He drove the car that had the gun in its possession. He then allowed the gun to be used, which resulted in the death of another person. Wouldn't that technically be accessory to murder? Yeah, it would. So my question is, why is he being treated as a cooperating witness instead of yeah. being treated as an accessory to murder? I was thinking that myself. I mean, you know, he, you know, he, he, he was a witness there when they getting off scot free. And guys, they allowed him to play anyway. They couldn't find any evidence to, 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 to put him on. Like, really? You couldn't find anything? And, you know, it's not even just that, Lou, but also he's been allowed to play during this whole entire ordeal, including where they ended up celebrating him getting 41 points just the other night. They made a whole entire celebration on TV of him. I don't think he needed to celebrate after what he did. I mean, for all we know, he could be, you know, charged with being attempted murder. I mean, this guy, honestly, Lou, this guy should have been sat until everything, until everything cleared itself. Until, I mean, until the investigation was concluded, I mean, he, this guy faced chance of lock him up from right. other, from, uh, from fans of other teams that he's gone to play against since. I mean, this, you know, I guarantee you, if he wasn't the star recruit from his recruiting class, 
he 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 probably would have been sat. But because yeah. he's basically the Michael Jordan of his recruiting class, uh, they decided no, he has to play. Yeah. I guarantee you, Lou, if it was anybody else, they would have been sat or they would have been suspended. So, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, are are certain players being – I mean, hell, there was – Certain players who get special special privileges. Yeah, there was – what's it called? James Wiseman. You remember James Wiseman when he was with Memphis? Yes, I do. James Wiseman ended up having to sit out the entire rest of the season due to violations from his university because of uh, due to due to recruitment violations. Something that wasn't his fault; it was the university's fault. Well, then the university was responsible, not not Wiseman. I mean, if it wasn't your fault, then you don't deserve to, you know, be punished. You know. You know, why should you be punished for someone else's mistakes? Yeah, and he this, didn't get any preferential treatment. And you're a part. Yeah, and he didn't get any preferential treatment, yet this asshat does. Exactly. And, you know, the, there's this whole claim of, oh, uh, the text message was, uh, you know, uh, Miles well, had sent him a – Miles had sent him a text message, and he didn't read the text message until he got to the place. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's all I got to say. In this this era of, of text messaging and social media, you don't wait until, until you get somewhere to read a text message. No. If you stop at a if you stop at a light, I or, or you know if you stop somewhere uh, before getting to that place, if you stop at a at a at a uh, traffic light or whatnot, I guarantee you most people immediately look at that text message. If they don't, you're an idiot. So I don't buy that shit right, uh, whatsoever that he that he yeah. didn't know until he got to the place. He knew. He knew. He was covering it up. That's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. But hey, you know, Ar- or not Arkansas, Alabama is uh, you know, the number 2 ranked team in the entire uh in the entire uh the entirety of college basketball. So Right. Hey. What do you, do? you know, I gu- I guess uh I guess being a top team has its perks apparently. Well, but that's uh, hell. That's enough. I'm gonna. That's enough of time. I'm gonna spend on this ass hat. Uh, we do have a little bit of news coming out of well, media rights, because oh. Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery, has officially pulled the plug on regional sports network teams. Oh boy. So for yeah. those who don't know. For those who don't know, Warner Brothers Discovery, they're just like Disney or NBC, uh, you know, or Comcast. They're one of those type of corporations that owns uh, certain networks. 
or certain entities. In particular, they also own uh, All Elite Wrestling, AEW, the uh, media rights for AEW uh, on Turner, uh, on uh, the Turner Broadcasting Networks. And they also are home to 10 different sports teams that use their, uh, or that, uh, you know, air their stuff through them. In particular, the teams that are affected, four different MLB teams, the Houston Astros, the Seattle Mariners, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Colorado Rockies. Three NBA teams are affected, the Portland Trailblazers, the, the Utah Jazz, and the Houston Rockets. And three NHL teams are affected, the Seattle Kraken, Penguins, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Warner Brothers Discovery has told teams that it plans to exit the regional sports network business entirely within the next several weeks. The company, which operates three AT&T Sportsnet branded channels in Denver, Houston, and Pittsburgh, and has a minority stake in the Root Sports Channel in Seattle, has told teams they have until March 31st to reach an agreement to take their rights back. If the regional sports networks can't, can't reach deals with the teams, the channels will then eventually plan to move forward with a Chapter 7 liquidation filing. In a statement that was provided to the Sports Broadcast Journal, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery said AT&T Sportsnet is not immune to the well-known challenges that the entire RSN industry is facing. We will continue to engage in private conversations with our partners as we seek to identify reasonable and constructive solutions. Uh, they then sent letters to the leagues and teams this afternoon, informing them of their plans to divest their interest in those four RSNs. As I mentioned previously, they have uh, they have rights deals with ten teams across four networks. Uh, the moves come at a fraught time for them, which has been which they have been trying to get out of the RSN business for a while. And over the past several months. Uh, league sources privately have praised their leadership, uh, led by AT&T Sportsnet P President Patrick Crum, for working with the teams to come up with a plan that would enable the company to get out of the RSN business. In the letters, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery said that they will allow the teams to use the same production staff and equipment to continue producing the games. Uh, with them trying to extend their NBA package past 2024, 2025, uh, as there are other different competitors that are emerging, like Amazon, Apple, and NBC. Uh, it says here, it's important for them to not ruffle feathers in the league office as it disentangles its interest in the RSNs. Uh, and obviously for the three NBA teams that they that they cover, it's too early to determine how this move will affect them. And also, this also comes as another big RSN group is preparing to file for bankruptcy as Diamond Sports Group, which holds the rights to 42 
MLB, NBA, and NHL teams on 19 regional sports networks is expected to file for bankruptcy protection in the middle of March. Adios. Diamonds are, uh, it's, it's called Diamond Sports Group. I've heard of it. And it says that Diamonds RSNs operate under the name of Bally Sports. Diamond, which which is carrying about $8 billion worth of debt, has told the leagues and teams that it plans to continue producing and carrying games even through bankruptcy. Uh, It may be easiest for Warner Brothers Discovery to unwind the Rocky Mountain and Pittsburgh stations since those involve straight rights deals. Uh, The Rocky Mountain station has an assortment of rights that range from Denver to Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. Uh, the Golden Knights, in particular, had protracted negotiations back in 2017 when the team had signed its deal with AT&T Rocky Mountain. Uh, its deal is believed to be worth an average of $13 million per year, according to sources. And sources also pointed to the Pirates deal in Pittsburgh as one that is a, that is especially advantageous to the team, as the sources said that the Pirates bring in around an average of $60 million per year from its local media deal. Local over-the-air broadcasters like Scripps, Gray Television, and Sinclair have been trying to pick up some local sports rights. Now, each of the leagues ha- also have been looking into developing a direct-to-consumer stream- streaming service as well. Uh, in particular, Root Sports Seattle is a joint venture where the Mariners own 60% of the uh, of the company, and Warner Brothers owns 40%. And the Rockets and Astros rights in Houston are tied up into long-term deals. So, Lou, I mean, this is this has some pretty drastic consequences that well, Warner yeah. Brothers wants that Warner Brothers wants out of the regional sports networking business, which mm-hmm. basically, with them pulling out like this, this is going to cost teams a lot of money, a lot of yeah. extra money that they would normally have. I mean, you know, I don't think I, I don't think a lot of people know this, but, you know, maybe the hardcore sports fans will know, but, you know, casual sports fans won't know this. Teams, part of their profit comes from those rights deals. You take away those right those rights deals, and as I said, one of the teams makes uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates get sixty million dollars per year from those from the, that rights deal. All right, think about how huge of an effect that that's going to have on their team. Yeah. All right. What What are your thoughts on this, Lou? That you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have teams, including I feel bad for the Kraken because they literally just started up. Yeah. You know, now you're going to have teams that are going to be forced to basically find new partners for for their media rights. Well, I think you're going to get to know quick. Of course, I've seen, I've seen, you know, but I've seen cable networks, you know, fall down before. I mean, there have been some, 
you know, better than that. But, you know, this show has gone on a level. I mean, think about it. It would be it would be like if all of a sudden the Yes Network had decided to stop uh, airing Yankee games. Or, yeah, network, buddy. or you know, not not just Yankee games, but also Nets games or uh, whatever else they may air in the New York yeah, area. You know, that would actually. I mean the the Yes Network. How long how long have the Yes Network been involved with uh, with this the Yankees? This is now their twenty second year. So they've had that big of a uh, you know of an association with the Yankees. Now you gotta you gotta imagine there's probably oh that's another thing they're owned by Bally Sports. Their twenty percent of their ownership is from Diamond Sports Group. So yes, oh, network is going to be affected. Yeah. So, you know who who knows? You could end up. Uh, this could have a, a pretty big trickle down effect mm. when it comes to uh, when it comes to sports programming. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think people really really understand just exactly how big of an effect that this is going to have. You know, you could see, you you could potentially see uh, most, you know, most, most of these teams, who, who knows? They, I mean, obviously, you know, they're, they're going to have to find some, some arrangement uh, to agree on with different, uh, with different local networks. Uh, but, you could see programming get halted on certain networks as a result of this. Yeah, but the Yankees and Nets, you know, they they're they're very popular. They're among the top uh, uh, teams in like you know, Forbes magazine. They they, uh, they make you know two or three billion dollars a year. So I don't really see how that's really gonna you know affect them that much. I mean, they got money. I mean, they got money up the wazoo. Oh no, that, it won't affect them that much. But you know, for teams like say the Seattle Kraken, who are just starting yeah. out, or the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, it, it's like it's like those lesser team or the Pittsburgh uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, right. it's those lesser teams well, that rely on those big money deals in order yeah. to even in order to even pay their players. Yeah, I mean, well, I guarantee you, I, get, I, get, I guarantee you, they're not going to be getting sixty million on whatever this new offer is going to be. No. So you know, it's definitely going to be. Uh, I, I think we may see a trickle down effect potentially. Well, I think what you know, in some way, shape, or form, we will. But as the thinking is going to be catastrophic for the Yankees and Nets, uh, I wouldn't go that far. No, I wouldn't say it's catastrophic, but I think it'll be noticeable. Well, although the sports world will be noticeable, but you know some will be more affected than others. I mean, Pittsburgh, you know, they're they're a trash they're a trashy anyway. I mean, you know, they don't win any games. Uh, fans don't go to see them. I don't think anyone watches them. So. You know, if the team was just, you know, a trash team, you know, it's not going to matter. It's like good riddance to them. Because you're not going to do much anyway. 
but what about what about also one of the other teams that's affected the Houston Astros? They're you're right for cheating. Well, yeah, that's that's an entirely different uh, an entirely different uh, situation there. Um, but you know, it's just it, it's you may end up seeing it where maybe perhaps some of these networks or some of these teams. Uh, their owners may actually decide to start purchasing the networks. Like, for example, John Henry, he owns Nesson, which uh, airs the Red Sox games. Right. So you may potentially see uh, that possibly happening where those, uh, you know, the owners of certain teams that are affected may end up purchasing the rights for their for their team's games, or they may end up purchasing that network entirely. Whatever whatever it may currently air on in their area. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's go to the NBA as we had the All Star Game take place earlier this uh, this past week, and Jason yeah. Tatum. Jason Tatum. Set the new record for an for most points in an NBA All Star game with fifty five points. Now this was originally set. Uh, he broke the uh, previous record by Anthony Davis, who had fifty two points did. back in twenty seventeen. What was that, Lou? Fifty two points back then. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, 52 points back in 2017. Uh, Tatum, as a result, took home the All-Star MVP honors, uh, which, a little interesting tidbit, the last two winners of the All-Star Game MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Steph Curry, both won the NBA title that very same year, the last two seasons. So... Jason, it's up to Jason Tatum to continue that streak and win, potentially win the NBA Finals for the Boston Celtics this year. And now, as a result of this, Jason Tatum is the first player in NBA history to have a 50-point game in not just a regular season game, a playoff game, an all-star game, and he also had a 50-point game in a play-in tournament game as well. The first NBA player to ever do that in NBA history. I mean, that's just astounding for a guy who's only 24. To do something that not, that not even Kobe Bryant did. When you start doing that, I mean, that, that shows something special, you know. Not even though Kobe Bryant did, probably even Jordan did, you know. But it's a little bit early to compare, you know. I mean, yeah, he had a great uh, great outing, but it's a little bit tricky to compare right now. I mean, you know, you still got, you know, probably to, to, to you know, make a difference, say, Jordan, Bryant, LeBron, you know. I mean, yeah. he could, but he, but he can be consistent like that. That's the thing. Yeah, well, well, you know, of course, it's it's not really fair to compare, cons- considering the fact that one of them is, you know, you know, Jason Tatum hasn't won an NBA title, 
but it, you know, it's just weird that you have all these greats like Michael Jordan, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, that all that have done all these things, yet you have, you, yet you still have a player that has been able to do something that none of those players were ever able to do throughout the duration of their career. Yeah, he didn't get much experience playing in the NBA, uh, NBA that much. Yeah. Just two games. Right. It's, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of weird. The fact that uh, it's, it sort of seems like more as, as this sport begin, continues to evolve, that there's there's more uh you know more things that are be- more firsts that are uh, that are popping up basically right. uh speaking of which uh Jason Tatum was on team Giannis Giannis uh ended up playing only i think it was like 30 seconds of the game where he had uh where he had okay. two points and then he ended up being taken out of the game and didn't play an entire uh, any more any more time during the All Star game due to his right wrist injury that he suffered uh, before the All Star game. And he was sent to New York to undergo further testing on his right wrist. Uh, let me double check actually and see. I don't know if he played last night. Mm, let's see. No, he did play. He played in limited minutes last night, only six minutes and 28 seconds of play last night, uh, putting up four points, four rebounds, four assists. So he didn't really do that much last night uh, with very limited playing time. I, I wonder if maybe they might be doing that. Uh, for quite a for quite a bit now, where maybe um, he's going to play limited minutes until that wrist fully heals. Yeah, I would think it would happen. And not just him, but also LeBron went down with a hand injury as well that ended yeah. up seeing him uh, seeing him only play the first half. Which I thought was kind of interesting, Lou, because you never see injuries in an All Star game. No, it just well, doesn't really happen. Not yeah, not you know, not lately. It just it it, it 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 normally it doesn't happen like that. No, but, but I think it's bothering him before the All Star game too. So I think he might re-aggravate himself. Oh, okay. So maybe he did injure it before that beforehand. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't think he injured okay. it at the offensive side. Yeah, that might have been. But then again, that man, you were injured. Why did you bother playing in the first place? Well, you know, because it's one. It's 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 sort of like a. Uh, I forget. I forget how they how they mentioned it on TNT. It's kind of like a. Uh, like one of their goal, one of a, it's kind of like a player's goal to, for every year, you know, every year you want to be, you want to, you want to win the NBA finals and whatnot, but also every year you want to make the all-star game. Right. Cause you know, that's, that's like one of those, uh, 
one of those type of things that you always that it's like a checklist almost for every single season. And you know, that's one of the things that actually matters to uh to players every single year. Uh one of the things that also happened this past week, uh the Utah Jazz, they bought out Russell Westbrook and he played his first game as a member of the LA Clippers last night in uh hell, the second highest scoring game ever in the NBA. It took two overtimes. Sacramento beat the LA Clippers 176 to 175. The second highest scoring game in NBA history. And Russell Westbrook had 17 points, 14 assists, and five rebounds. Uh, He also did foul out of the game, though, so uh, he didn't finish the game. But he did log about 39 and a half minutes of play time. And, you know, I remember you asking me earlier earlier today, Lou, uh, what I thought thought about uh, Russell Westbrook switching teams over in L.A., and, and you know, I to the rival themselves. I mean, if the ugly stepchild, right? And you know, I I still kind of stand. I still stand by what I said earlier. Uh, okay. That I think you're probably going to see closer to the old Russell Westbrook that everybody was used okay. to seeing. I mean, yeah, maybe he may not. He may not do triple doubles any, every night anymore. But no. you're you're going to see close to the Russell Westbrook that was more of a playmaker as opposed to uh, one that would force shots. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So he, he, you know, he would be more, he would be more of a pass first type of point guard now, as opposed to being, uh, Oh my God, I need to have the ball so that I can, uh, so that I can, you know, be the majority uh, of all of my of all of my teams uh, shot at. And from the numbers that he put up last, last night, I mean, they kind of support it. Seventeen points, fourteen assists. Uh, that's actually, I believe, the second or third highest amount of assists recorded by an LA Clippers player in LA uh, Clippers history. I think too. Uh, I had read a stat about that earlier today. Uh, but in that loss, uh, Paul George, 34 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, 44 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. He also had 3 steals and 2 blocks in the game. Uh, Mason Plumley, one of the newest acquisitions for them, had a double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, let's see. They also got 24 points from Norman Powell off of the bench, 19 from Nicholas Batum. Uh, they had 10 from Terrence Mann and 8 points from Eric Gordon. However, though, the Sacramento Kings were the stars of the show uh, of the show last night. Uh, from 42 points from De'Aaron Fox, you had, or, yeah, 42 points, 12 assists, 5 rebounds including five steals. He was only 
Oh, he didn't have any blocks, so that that takes uh, that takes care of the five 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 uh, game. Uh, Demontis Sabonis had twenty points and ten rebounds with four assists on the night. Uh, rookie Keegan Murray had fifteen points, three rebounds, two assists. Uh, Harrison Barnes eleven points, six rebounds, two assists. Kevin Huerta with 11 points, four rebounds, three assists as well in the game. And Malik Monk with 45 points off of the bench. 45 points, six assists, and two rebounds. Good God. Let me check. Who fouled? Oh, Sabonis. Okay, that might be why. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis uh, fouled out, so Malik Monk must have taken up a whole bunch of his minutes. But wow. Now, imagine that. Wasn't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Malik Monk at one point a uh, a Laker? Yes. Yeah, uh, that's right, actually. Yeah, he was was a Laker last year. He was a Laker last year. Imagine having Malik Monk being able to put up 45 points off of the bench for the Lakers. Yeah. And instead, he's doing that for Sacramento. And I got to tell you, Sacramento, uh, the, more that, the more games they play, the more they look like they are going to be a uh, potential contender out there in the West. They're third in the Western Conference right now. You know, this isn't the team uh, that had been that had been known for failing for so many years. Exactly. Anymore. You know, this is a team that is legitimate and you know, no team better sleep on them the entire uh no you know, the entire rest of the season here. Ooh, we have a barn burner actually on uh, on ABC right now. The Boston Celtics with a one point, uh, actually, hang on. Nope, Philly just took the lead, 103 to 102. Wow. So that, I mean, this, uh, you know, this is one hell of a, uh, one hell of a barn burner here to begin with. Uh, and Boston, I believe, has won every every single matchup so far against Philly this season. Yeah. Oh, but Al Horford with a three point a three point shot right there puts Boston back in the lead. Uh, JB, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am doing good. Uh, happy happy you called in. You got. Uh, we have about eight minutes left on the uh, on the main portion here before we go into the uh, the after show. Um, we've uh, we've we've been discussing a whole myriad of topics. Uh, have you got Have you gotten a chance, uh, JB, to uh, to look at the uh, what's it called the shooting clock or not shooting clock the uh, the pitching clock in uh, in Major League Baseball? I just read about it, and uh, I saw that on uh, Sports Whispers, and I was just thinking, as I was reading it the other day, I thought, 
what the hell are they are are they uh you know it it almost sounds like uh major league baseball is oh how can i say it uh it it almost sounds like it's uh that they want to uh that baseball in general wants to try to compete with uh the NFL uh pro bowl flag uh, football with what with what with with that with adding a pitch clock yeah, it's like I I you know, if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I I mean, let's let's look at it this way, JB. Uh you know, a lot of a lot of uh a lot of the reasons why games have been so long is because of the fact that pitchers have taken their sweet old time, yes, in trying to get in trying to get uh, you know, trying trying to trying to get their uh, their their pitching motion ready and everything, and that's why we've seen games go for sometimes three hours, maybe three and a half hours every single night. I don't really, I don't really. I, I don't really seem to agree with that. I don't really think it has anything to do uh the length of the uh, game. Uh I don't think it has anything to do with uh you know pitchers taking their uh some pitcher some pitchers taking their uh you know taking their time. And it's like, uh, what about these uh, games that uh, don't go a long time? It's very rare, JB. Just a, the average length is about three hours, 15 minutes. And that's not going as there is. I mean, it's a slow, dragged-out process. And yeah. fans of who's losing interest. I'm not seeing people where they fall asleep during these games. I yeah. think they want. I think they want to just push these. Uh, you know, get the get the game over and uh, push these fans out. Well, I mean, when you when you think about it, you know, there's been you you also you also have to think about too that uh, the West Coast, you know, uh, on Eastern on Eastern time frames, the West Coast begins at like ten ten o'clock, maybe ten thirty at night. Yeah. For Western Conference, or you know, for uh, for West Coast games, so you know, it it seems like you know the league just wants games to get done faster because of the fact that you uh, you know there's the longer that a game goes, the more of a chance you risk of losing your audience. Yeah, basically, unless you're a bunch of night owls. Unless, mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, unless that person's a night owl, then, you know, in that case, you don't really lose them. But, right. you know, it's it, it just – I actually think it's a good thing for the league because, you know, this 
obviously, you know, obviously it's, it, uh, it forces the pitchers to act quickly, but also at the same time, you know, there can be automatic balls or strikes called depending on if a pitcher either doesn't throw the ball, uh, within a certain time or if the batter doesn't get into the batter's box within a certain time. Right. Uh, and, you know, this could actually save uh, – it, it could actually save the pitchers a little bit from having to, uh, you know, from, from having to make certain uh, certain pitches. So you could see potentially pitchers – Maybe go an extra inning, for example. If certain pitches get called automatic without them even them even uh, having thrown pitches. Yeah. Uh, I just th- I just think that it's just something that doesn't need to be. Uh, that doesn't need to be uh, you know in in the game. Well, as you do, they've been talking with this for a while. I mean, they've been talking with this for years, thinking in decades. But they never, yeah. but they just never, they never did. And they just finally wised up. I mean, they've been talking with this since the, like, the uh, mid-80s. And, and I know a lot of people are thinking, a pitch clock? Come on, what is it? You're going to answer at the timing? It'll never work. You know, I thought it would never come, to, I thought it would never happen either. You know, I thought it was like, no, that's never going to happen. We'll never see it happen. And look what happens now. We got it. Yeah, and you know, honestly, the uh, the bigger bases. I mean, so far like we it. haven't really seen. So far, the bigger bases, we haven't really seen any sort of difference whatsoever uh, when it comes to uh, base running or or you right. know uh, attempting to steal. There hasn't really been much of a difference. I mean, are they you know are like, are they thicker bases or are they bigger bases in area? Oh, they're bigger bases in area. Like like think of uh, think of a pizza box. Okay, that's, that's basically that's basically what they look like. They look like giant pizza boxes right now. Okay, so if they're if they're larger in area, that means that the uh, uh, the point from uh, one base, like first base to second base, is going to be shorter a little bit than, yeah, not it, by much. than it used to. Yeah, not by much. Right. Maybe what, an inch or something like that? Uh, if that, yeah, probably something like that. Like, yeah, probably about an inch. But still, though, it's uh, you know, there there is there is a little bit a little bit of a uh, a little bit of. I mean, yeah, it would give some like for example on replays when they when they would do a replay of a stolen base, uh, it would be much easier to tell if somebody got there uh, on time compared to you know another uh, compared to the uh, the earlier uh, seasons where the with the original bases. 
Or another option uh, would be that it would actually prevent uh, – some people believe it would actually prevent uh, injuries from uh, from happening because of – because of attempting to slide into a base. Yeah. I don't know, though. You know, so far it's working out, but uh, obviously, you know, it's different because this is spring training. Who knows what it's going to be like during the regular season. Uh, I did find it kind of anxiety-ridden, the fact that, you know, you have – you have a pitcher basically – a pitcher could throw three pitches in 30 seconds, essentially. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's literally what it's, what it's come down to. Oh, looks like Boston is going to take this. Jason Tatum just hit a game-winning three Good. with about – 2.2 seconds left. Yep, that's it. Game over. So I think I think let me double, let me double check. I I think that is the final meeting I think between these teams. I don't believe it. Yep. So, so Boston will have uh, Boston so far has taken every literally every single meeting. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't know. That might have that might have gone off. Hold your hand. That might count. That was by Embiid, I think. Wait a minute. Let's see. Wow. Nope. Nope. Doesn't count. That's a shit. Wow. That's a shame. Boston. Boston got away with that. Boston yeah, got away did. with that. They're lucky. Because the ball or the uh, the light had uh, had gone off uh, yep. while Embiid still had the ball in his hand. All hands in your hands before that happens. Yep. Wow, what a big what a big win for uh for Boston here. What a game. And here we've here we've seen everything tonight. We've seen a goaltender score a goal. Uh we've seen a big man hit a uh hit a three pointer all the way from more than half court. And just the right amount of time was left on the clock for, uh, after after uh, Jason Tatum hit that three. Yeah, yeah, the game's over. That's there's no way that there was uh, there was enough of time after that or before that, I should say. Yes, but. Uh, let's see. So, uh, also another bit of news, uh, the Chicago Bulls, they are expected to shut down Lonzo Ball, uh, for the season with his left knee, which kind of makes sense now, Lou, why they, uh, why they brought in Patrick Beverly. Yeah. 
But it makes a lot more sense now. I think you know the the uh, Bulls' chance of making the playoffs now. I think are are being diminished uh, now that Ball is out. He was probably going to be their only hope. I don't know if Beverly's going to be able to take him to get him through uh, making the postseason. I mean, they are a game and a half. They are a game and a half out of the play-in tournament, but I. You know, I'm not too sure that they would be. I mean, they have to deal with the Heat, the Hawks, the Raptors, and Wizards. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna be able to to uh, to crack that uh, to crack those four. I'd honestly, I'd be very surprised. And by the way, uh, that last minute or that last second three pointer tonight by Jason Tatum. Tatum had only finished the first half with just four total points. And he ends up finishing the game with 18 because of that last second three. So uh, 18 points, 13 rebounds for Jason Tatum after he had that 55-point uh, game in the All-Star game. Just wow. I you know I, I I'm still yeah. I'm still I'm still stunned right now that uh, uh, some yeah, of the I'm things that we've seen tonight. Uh, by the way, uh, going through some of the MLS games right now, uh, as I said earlier, New England with a one-nil shutout over Charlotte, uh, Nashville with a two-nil shutout over NYCFC. Uh, Atlanta with a two to one victory over San Jose, uh, Cincinnati with a two to one victory over the Houston Dynamo, DC United with a three to two victory over Toronto FC, Miami with a two nil shutout of Montreal, uh, Orlando with a one nil shutout of the New York Red Bulls. Sorry, Lou. I know you're. I know you're a Red Bulls fan. I know. Oh, it's only uh, one game. Huh? It's only one game. One game does not make a season. Well, yeah, obviously. Um, the Philadelphia uh, Philadelphia Union with a 4-1 to victory over the Columbus Crew. Uh, let's see. St. Louis with a 3-2 to two victory over Austin, Texas. Minnesota with a 1-0 shutout over Dallas FC. And still underway, Vancouver FC with a 1-0 lead over Real Salt Lake. And, of course, the only game tomorrow is Seattle, uh, the Seattle Sounders against Colorado. But uh, Major League Soccer is officially back on, uh, up and running. Uh, oh, they do have a uh, they do have a thing for the XFL. So uh, ESP, ESPN in particular, uh, we did have an XFL game earlier today. The yeah. D, the DC Defenders with an eighteen to six victory over the Vegas Vipers. So I called that one correctly, Lou. I had a feeling yeah. I had a feeling it would be DC. Yeah. Enjoy the way it can because I don't think it's going to last much longer. Uh, 
you know, it's 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 weird with the with the XFL because you know, like like I said uh, previously, obviously they were associated with Vince McMahon for so many years, and everybody looked at it as just a throwaway thing that Vince uh, that Vince just wanted to try and make more money off of, mm-hmm. but. I actually think that they could potentially go somewhere with The Rock as their uh, as their lead uh, as their owner. You think so? I think it's possible. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's de- I think it's definitely possible that they could. So. Well, you think it's just because of The Rock or something else? Well. The Rock, the Rock, and his uh, and his ex-wife, who uh, co-own the business, the, the the company that they have, uh, they have a uh, history of uh, doing successful business deals. So yeah, it, I mean, they all, they also they they also own. Uh, well, we've seen the screens in the past. And, you know, everybody hyped them up and everything. You know, we had the USFL, we had the World League, uh, we had the uh, WLAF from 74 and 75. We had XFL 1, which bombed out, XFL 2, bombed out, and went on and all that thing. So, you know, why should this be, why should we believe that this is any different? I mean, this could be like, you know, it's just like a spur of the moment, but it could be just a flash in the pan. I mean, I see it time and time again. And these things just don't work. Yeah, but at the same time, at the same time, though, you know, you have to you have to have somebody who's actually, uh, you know, who's at, who actually has a vested interest in it, and not somebody who's just doing it just to, you know, just to do it. And let's not forget, you know, the Rock. He he used to play football in college. He was he was a member of the uh, Miami Hurricanes. And obviously, before he went into wrestling, he could have been uh, he could have been drafted to the NFL before he decided to go into wrestling instead. But you know, I just i I just have this feeling with the with the track record that his ex wife has with their company, uh, including they they also uh, have um, financed quite a few movies that have been made as well. So, I mean, they, you know, they basically expand into all different aspects of, uh, of entertainment, whether it's sports, uh, whether it's movies, you know, they expand into all different aspects. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if, I mean, obviously the XFL isn't going to be, isn't, isn't ever going to touch the NFL, but I wouldn't be surprised if if the XFL can can really develop into you know a second league specifically meant for for keeping players ready in case the NFL comes calling. Do you think you see a merger between the XFL and the USFL? Uh. I think it could be better than the. I think the XFL could be better than the USFL. Okay. Possibly, with with time. 
By the way, I got a little bit of a uh, – speaking of the – we were talking about the pitch clock earlier. Uh, one of the uh, Red Sox minor league prospects, uh, Ryan Fitzgerald, commented on it, saying, we played with the pitch clock in AAA 2022 season. I never felt rushed, and I saw less than 10 violations over 150 games. After playing in today's game that ended in a tie – I've never felt more rushed to get in the box. The clock this year is not the same as last year. Well, you didn't have a clock last year, so it's kind of early. No, what what he's saying what he's saying is because they played they played the clock, uh, they played with the same uh, you know with the same format last year in AAA. Because AAA oh, okay, was okay. using the pitch clock last year, what? and from what it sounds like, it's, uh, it, he said that he's never felt more rushed to get in the box, even though he saw less than ten violations over 150 minor league games in AAA last year. Oh, okay, AAA last year, right? Yeah, and uh, he responded to a fan. A fan asked, what's the difference? Is it just more strict enforcement, or is it a different rule? And he said, honestly, not sure. My guess is it has something to do with the person running the clock. They're quick starting it before the pitcher actually has the ball. So it sounds like the league, if anything, is, is basically rushing. Everything that's, uh, you know. Yeah, speedball. Yeah, I mean, that could cause that could cause some pretty big problems, potentially. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting if uh, I have a feeling that oh, yeah. this could cause a few problems uh, coming and, down the line here. Yeah. And he's play, he's he's playing in a different league too. Yeah. Well, yeah, but now uh, you know he he's comparing the AAA clock to the clock that's being used in spring training, which is uh, you know it's supposed to it's supposed to be the same system. No. Is what he's saying. You know, he's he, he's saying it's supposed to be the same system that's being used because that's what the players and the league had agreed upon. That it would be the same exact system that's been used in AAA, and he's basically saying that it, that it's uh, the person that's running the clock is actually is that is actually uh, running it incorrectly. How does he know? Yeah, how does he know? Because it seems like he's just, uh, he, he's coming from another, he's coming from another league, supposedly, and I'm, this is uh, the big word, supposedly, they're supposed to have the same system in place, but yeah. is it really 
the same system? Well, yeah, that's the big question. That's the big question. You know that? Yeah, that's the the big question. You know, he wants to. He wants to. It it sounds like he's blaming. Oh, the person uh, doing the shot clock, almost like, uh, almost like uh, when we watch uh, an NFL uh, game on uh, TV and a uh, referee gets a, a, you know, a play wrong, we want to blame the referee. And sometimes it is their fault. Sometimes it's not. And it just just seems like he's, I don't know. Well, just think about it, though, JB. You know, if if they're specifically being told, okay, you know, uh, players have, uh, have 15 seconds to get into the or they have a certain amount of time to get into the batter's box. I think it's like seven or eight seconds to get into the batter's box and and be in a ready position. Yeah. And let's say instead of the clock starting at fifteen seconds, let's say oh the clock starts at fourteen seconds or thirteen seconds. I mean that's kind of unfair to the to the batter. Which, to be honest, I did when I was watching the Red Sox game today. I did see that happen on both sides, where yeah. it seemed like it seemed like right as soon as the right as soon as that ball was caught by the catcher, that the pitching clock had started back up again, right away. When normally the clock would start after the pitcher receives the ball. And at the at the at time at the times during the game today, the pitcher didn't even have the ball yet, and the and the clock was running. So to me, it kind of seems like that's on the operator, the person that's actually operating the clock. Yes. Okay. Because what's suppo- what's supposed to ha- like I, like I said what's what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to wait until the pitcher receives the ball to start the clock. Because otherwise, if they can you know if they just continue doing that, it would I mean it would create such a mess. Basically, if they if they were to just continue. Uh, resetting the clock and immediately starting the clock up, uh, you know, like what, what if so, what if something happened where, okay, so uh, an out is made in the outfield, and then oh, we got to start the clock up so quickly, throw the ball to the pitcher, and then uh, the pitcher has to get ready the the the, the batter that was running that was on deck has to immediately run out to the uh run out to the the batter's box i mean it would ju- it would just be it would just be very clunky it would be very clunky and rushed essentially 
Okay, so let me just say that uh, forget about my comments until I actually watch uh, a couple baseball games and actually watch how the how the uh, clock uh, you know goes because. Uh, Really, my comments mean nothing until I actually watch a game like uh, you guys do. Okay, well, you know, you know, it's it it, it is like I said though. Maybe per, maybe perhaps it was the uh, the person actually, you know, doing the uh, thing that uh-huh. that was actually controlling the clock. That it was on that. I mean, obviously, if it wasn't their fault, then obviously uh, Major League Baseball has a problem with uh, with their clock yeah. system. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, is, it is it is possible. It is possible that maybe it is a uh, uh, you know an automated clock to where it automatically starts uh-huh. right as it. Uh, you know, right as That's the next uh, right as the next pitch is supposed to be uh, is supposed to be thrown. Well, that'd be a problem right there. Potentially, yeah. Okay, similar to the clock uh, that uh, that they play uh, in the NFL yes, to yes. get your you know to get your next play, but yeah, in that instance. They give them, uh, you know, thirty seconds, yeah. which is a lot. I mean, it, which is a, a lot more time. Right. I mean, than, it would be a lot different. It would be a lot different if they were given like if they were given an NFL style clock. It would be a lot different. Right. To where okay, there wouldn't be any, uh, there wouldn't be any room for any sort of uh, any sort of whining or complaining, basically. Right. But you know, I, I I'm kind of going back to what Lou said to what Lou said earlier before you joined in, JB. I kind of think they should go to a 20 second clock. I mean, they have 20 seconds when there's runners on base, but only 15 seconds when there are no runners on base. I think honestly they should go to a 20 second clock. That would that would uh, clear it up more. Because I mean, you know, what's an extra five seconds going to do? To to a uh, you know for for uh, people that are watching the game, what's an extra five seconds going to do? I mean, I've seen I've seen pitchers take anywhere between one to two minutes in between pitches to throw a pitch. Which is too long. So, I mean, it's regardless. You know, this is still going to be obviously a work in progress. I didn't expect it to be perfect anyway from the start. I mean, I knew there would be some flaws. I, I kind of expected that. Are they just right. going to do this in um, preseason games, or is it also going to be, or are they going to do it in the, uh, you know, when the uh, season starts? Permanent. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's going to be permanent. It's uh it's going to be um 
for for the first for uh, un, until they say otherwise, basically. Yeah. Or hey, until a change. While we have you on here, I want to get your thoughts on. Oh, uh, obviously, obviously, we had a UFC event take place uh, take place earlier today. I want to get your thoughts on the main event for next week with John Jones attempting oh, to become man. attempting okay. to become the heavyweight champion in a vacated bout against Cyril Gane because of the fact that uh of the fact that Francis Ngannou was stripped of the belt and released from the promotion due to a contract dispute. I'm surprised that they didn't have some kind of interim uh belt for two people and uh you know those two would decide who would be the uh, heavyweight champion. Well, you know, originally, uh, Cyril Gane did get the interim belt because he defeated Derek Lewis back in 2021 for the interim title. And he's been on the shelf because he has been on the shelf since then because Nganu uh had refused to fight because of the uh or no he did defeat interim champion Cyril Gane after that uh back on January of last year but since then you know Nganu hadn't fought and what I'm wondering is why the hell did they just not put the belt on Cyril Gane even though he lost to Nganu oh, yeah Yeah, I, mean, I like. I'm I'm kind of hoping that this uh, surreal game. I'm kind of hoping that he will beat John Jones. John Jones. Well, I mean, he does have knockout power. He did knock out Tai uh, Tuivasa, who has probably one of the biggest chins in the heavyweight division. Uh, he did knock out Derek Lewis, who also is very hard to knock out as well. Uh, so he definitely has knockout power. Uh, yes. Obviously, though, John Jones is a completely different fighter, though. Yeah. So John Jones is, I mean, it doesn't matter how long he may be on the shelf. He could be on the shelf for years, and he would probably still be able to come in and kick somebody's ass. I mean, the last time he fought was like I think three years ago, which was against Daniel Cormier. No, actually, no, years. no, never mind. No, never Four mind. Four years ago, Dominic. It was it was three years ago against against Dominic Reyes. Okay. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought his last fight was against Cormier, but it wasn't. It's it was actually against Dominic Reyes, where he. Uh, Defended the light heavyweight title, and then he vacated the title uh, in August of 2020. But he uh, he defeated Reyes, who I believe isn't even in the promotion anymore, I don't think. I don't think he's even in the UFC anymore. 
But, uh, you know, I mean, John Jones, he's only lost one fight in his entire career. So. Yeah, you know who that's, you know who that's too? Yeah, Matt Hamill. Matt Hamill. And yeah, it was the, it was because he was uh, disqualified. It was like a DQ for uh, illegal uh, uh, elbows to the uh, you know back of the head. <laughs> yeah, he was doing twelve. To, he was doing twelve to six elbows, which like on a clock, on a clock twelve to, uh, from the 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 uh, midnight uh, hand or the midnight hour all the way down to to six o'clock. He was yeah. doing those type of elbows and. Those were considered supposedly illegal, but uh, I remember somebody said after the fact, after the uh, bout was called and everything, a couple of years later, somebody said, those aren't illegal. That those, you know, those are, uh, uh, those technically should have been considered legal elbows. Right. And technically, the fight should have continued. But regard, regardless, though, John Jones. I mean, this is this is the type of fighter who he can take quite a bit of time off and could still come back. He could still come in and kick somebody's ass if he wanted to. And with him moving up to heavyweight, I mean, he made light heavyweight look like a breeze. So I'm really wondering what's going to happen at heavyweight when he has the chance to pack on more muscle. You know, is he going to be the same John Jones that everybody knows with how fast he was with his movements and everything? Or is he going to be, are we going to see a different John Jones? I, I think, and this is just speculation, I think we are going to see a different John Jones because number well number one I think uh, the time off that he has taken the last fight was in 2020 so that was three years ago uh, yeah. number two he's at what. 60 pounds heavier? Uh, not necessarily. Well, I mean, he has to weigh I mean, I, 260. Five. No, no, he has to, no, he has to weigh the, uh, the minimum weight that he can weigh is 207 mm-hmm. for heavyweight. Yeah, but I know, uh, being he's heavyweight, I know he weighs like close to 250, 260 now. Really? Yes. Really? Oh wow. That that was Wow, okay. Yeah, that was uh that was really surprising to me. Oh yeah, actually yeah. Uh as recent as September of twenty twenty one he said he weighs two hundred and fifty five pounds. Yeah, anyway, so Wow. So really is he gonna be fighting the same as he was when he was, uh, you know, uh, light heavy, or uh, you know, uh, light heavyweight. Oh my I God! Don't I, think you so. know, I, I, I don't think at, so. Hang on, 
Hang on a minute, JB. I got to I got to send you a photo of this. I am looking at a photo of him right now. Uh comparison to what he looked like. Hang on. Let me send let me send you Where is it? Jim. There we go. Uh <laughs> I'm going to send I'm going to send you a side-by-side comparison photo that I just found of him. On the left is of him uh when he when he uh weighed uh at light heavyweight when he walked around at 222 and a half pounds. His current walking weight is 255 pounds and on the right side is is what he looks like right now. Right. That, he yeah. doesn't even have so, a six-pack anymore. So I I don't know. You know, it, it, it's hard to say. You know, we might see a different John Jones, and he might be able to, you know, kick some of these uh, heavyweights' ass. Maybe. But I don't know. This uh, surreal game... I am pulling for him to uh, win. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: John Jones is known for knocking out people in the light heavyweight division. But you're go- if you're going up to heavyweight, that's completely different. Like compared to somebody like Cyril Gane, who's been, uh, you know, who's been fighting at heavyweight, I believe, for pretty much most of his career. Let me let me look actually. Uh, Cyril Gane. When was his? Yeah, he's been a heavyweight his entire career. So, I mean, it's gonna be. Dra- I feel it's gonna be drastically different for for Jones to be fighting at heavyweight as opposed to Cyril Gane, who's you know been a heavyweight for pretty much his entire. Let's see. Gane's reach is is 81 inches. Let me see what... Ooh. Jones still has the longer reach, though. 84 and a half to 81. Oh. Plus, that plus John Jones has some long legs, too. That could and be that, is he going to be able photo, to use though. those legs uh you know, at heavyweight like he did when he was at lightweight. Uh, if he does, you know, I don't know. Yeah, if he does, <laughs> he can be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, but, J- yeah. JB, JB, if you look at the if you look at that photo I sent you again, it doesn't really seem like his legs are that much affected. It seems like it's his it's his uh, it's his upper body, if anything. Right. Uh, I don't know. It's it's you know it's going to be hard to tell. Plus, the thing too is he's older. You know he's older now. He's what thirty five. He's probably going to be yeah. He's thirty five years old. You know who yeah, knows? He's what older, heavier, and it's like is he going? You know is he going to? be the same uh John Jones and it's like Probably not. I don't I don't think so but then again you know he might come out and 
we might see the same kind of John Jones uh, at heavyweight like we used to do uh, seeing him at uh, light heavyweight. Yeah. Or I mean, yeah. at at heavyweight, like we did at the, like we saw him at light heavyweight. Yeah, but at the same time, he would have to have that same explosiveness that he once had, and I don't think he has that. And I don't think he has it because he's been out for three years. Well, not not just that, but uh, I mean, let's face it. You put on. You put on more muscle, or in his case, honestly, it looks like it's a mixture of both. It looks like it's a mixture of fat and also of muscle. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it doesn't really look – you're not going to have the same speed at heavyweight that you had at light heavyweight. If he has the same speed at heavyweight – Oh, he's then, a force to be know, reckoned with then. Then, you know, people are going to be wondering, why didn't you make this jump sooner? Exactly. Because and I was, I was always uh, questioning him. I guess it was about three, maybe four years ago, when he was uh, saying he wanted to fight Brock Lesnar, and I thought, man, Brock Lesnar is going to kick this guy's ass. But then again, I was looking at this guy. He's got some long legs, and I don't think Brock Lesnar, you know, is used to these long-legged guys. But then Brock Lesnar was a heavyweight, and at the time, uh, you know, even though he was with uh, professional wrestling, and... uh, John Jones at the time was a light heavyweight. Right. And, you know, I mean, let's, let's face it. Obviously this was before Lesnar. Uh, I think, I think they were talking about a fight with him and Lesnar before Lesnar had diverticulitis. Uh, now, obviously, you know, that would have been a much different story if, if Lesnar had never gotten diverticulitis and weakened his, uh, his immune system and everything. Um, I mean, we saw how he got absolutely manhandled by, uh, by Alistair Overeem. Um, I think that, you know, he would probably be able to handle John Jones's leg kicks a lot better as opposed to like say if say if Brock Lesnar were to have fought John Jones after diverticulitis, there's just no way that Lesnar would have been able to uh would have been able to handle Jones's leg kicks. Oh, I mean his leg kicks would have been worse than uh uh Alistair Overeem. Yeah. And Overeem was worse because Overeem had the knees. It wasn't the leg kicks, it was the knees. Right. That did and, that did Lesnar in. So And I I know I have been one to say uh you know that I at the time I I don't wanna say I didn't I couldn't stand Lesnar, but I didn't like him. But at the same yeah. time Alistair Overeem when he fought uh, 
Brock Lesnar, he did not fight a 100% Brock Lesnar. If no. Brock Lesnar wouldn't have had uh, diverticulitis or anything like that, I think he would have beaten. Possibly. Uh, I don't think so. I, I think Brock Lesnar would have uh, beat him. I think it was the illness that uh, his diverticulitis, that uh, Brock Lesnar had, the diverticulitis, I think that is what uh, did he. I think that's what uh, did him in, really. It, oh, yeah. I don't no, think it, it. Yeah, it didn't make him as strong. He wasn't one hundred percent. If he would have been one hundred percent, he would have beaten uh, Alistair over him. Uh, you know, a lot of people said that originally too. That if Lesnar had never suffered diverticulitis, because he was able to take shots before. You know, he was able to take shots uh, previously in the gut. And basically it was right as soon as uh, he had diverticulitis and then he fought uh, Overeem after that. I mean, Overeem, Overeem fucking eats uh, horse meat, you know, yeah. literally uh, every day. I mean, this is a dude who is fucking massive. And it's like it's almost like you got hit by a by a Brinks truck or something uh, with every no, shot that he would throw at you. Yeah, but look well, how I mean, uh, look how uh, Brock Lesnar is too. Yeah. Well, Brock is completely Brock is completely different. You know, Brock I mean, he's is like more a, he's just the, a, a freak. He, he's more he's yeah he's more he's more of the takedown sort of uh sort he's more of a ground game as opposed to standing. Right. I mean when you when you think about it, he had he had pillows for hands if anything. Yeah. Unless you were on the ground. If you were on the ground it was a completely different story. Yeah. But uh and I, and, I and I know you know when uh, Jim used to uh you know, bring up uh, Brock Lesnar. I used to say, you know, I couldn't stand him. But even though I didn't like him, even though I didn't like him, I still, I still, uh, you know, have been saying for how many years that Alistair Overeem did not fight a 100% Brock Lesnar, and if he no. would have. He would have lost. Lou, did you did you ever uh, did you ever see that fight uh, with Brock Lesnar and Alistair Overeem? Uh, I probably didn't. I mean, because I wasn't able to get the review, but I, but I knew of it. Yeah, that was so. Basically, what that uh, what that came off of was when Lesnar had. I believe he had just lost the UFC title. Yeah, he had lost the heavyweight title to Cain Velasquez. Uh, He underwent he underwent uh, a bout with diverticulitis, and then his first fight back was against Alistair Overeem, 
and Overeem literally hit him right where diverticulitis affects the most, which was, I believe, what what was it, the liver? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, he he was – it was uh, leg kicks or knee kicks, and it just – I mean, Lesnar no. just he, – he just buckled down. No, no, well, that's the thing. He hit he hit Lesnar in a specific spot, to yeah. where Lesnar, uh, you know, Lesnar just completely collapsed. I forget where it was. I forget if it was if it was the liver or if it was uh, or and actually no, diverticulitis actually has to do with the ga- with the gastrointestinal system. So yeah, uh, yeah. with the intestines. Um, actually, it was probably right in the gut is where you need Lesnar. And that is basically what caused Lesnar to completely crumble in that fight. And, you know, a lot of people were very intrigued as to what was going to happen. Cause you take a look at, you take a look at that matchup. Lesnar's six foot three, 265 pounds. Uh, Overeem is six foot five, 256 pounds. And as they, as they put it on the tagline, it doesn't get any bigger than this. You know, Overeem at the time, apart from uh, apart from Fedor Emelianenko, Overeem was probably considered to be the greatest heavyweight to have not fought in the UFC. Apart from Fedor Emelianenko, and then of course he ends up coming in. Uh, beating Brock Lesnar's ass after Lesnar was basically the UFC's uh, the UFC's big uh, big money maker uh, before Conor McGregor came in, and they actually they actually had about a total gate of about three three point one million dollars for that fight. And actually, let me look. Where was let's see? Where does that fight rank in terms UFC one twenty one? No, it was one forty one. Oh, okay. I'm looking back yeah, further then. Yeah, one twenty one was Velasquez. Uh, that actually, in as far as main events go. That actually drew the least amount of pay-per-view buys for Lesnar. Uh, but once Lesnar became part of the main event, I mean, he was drawing at least a million pay-per-view buys for each pay-per-view that he headlined um, until that fight where that one drew only 750000 And ultimately, you know, that was actually Lesnar's last, UFC fight before he would go on before he would come back for UFC 200 and face Mark Hunt which is now officially ruled a no contest because of uh Lesnar testing positive for uh for an infertility drug <laughs> which is weird but and it's not it's not even just that it, it was an infertility drug for women which makes it even weirder, but apparently yeah, really. it was something it was something having to do with the steroids that he was taking uh when he was with the w w e you know it's 
it, it real this fight next week really does intrigue me because uh, it's it's unfortunate I won't be able to watch it. Uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to watch it when I get home. Um, that's why we're not we're not uh, like I mentioned uh, earlier we're not having a Sports Whispers Weekly next week because unfortunately I have to undergo sensitivity training along with my other coworkers for. For an incident that took place before our vacation, so um, uh-huh. yeah. Needless to say, it. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. I won't be doing Sports Whispers Weekly next week, but we will be back the week after uh, okay. for Sports Whispers Weekly. I'll be and, so it's so it's no harm no foul there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and 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 also I should I should tell you, Lou, I won't be uh, in the same process. I won't be able to call into your show next week because of it. So um, obviously, yeah. But I will be. Uh, everything will be back up and normal the week after. So, good, uh, good. and as far as and as as far as uh, what's it called uh, the Survivor Show goes, uh, Survivor the Survivor Forty Four Recap Podcast will begin this upcoming Thursday. So. Uh, oh yeah, those. So those who listen to the Missy AE podcast will have that to uh, to look forward to beginning uh, this upcoming Thursday. Uh, let's see some other bits of news. Uh, Major League Baseball apparently recently informed club officials that it will be encouraging umpires to refocus on preventing pitchers from utilizing sticky stuff this season. Uh-oh. Here we go. And it says it says here oh, that, uh, Jason Jason Stark adds that teams haven't been told of the exact steps that that umpires will use to curtail the use of foreign substances, but those changes, if any, should become more apparent once spring training contests have begun. Uh, obviously, for those who don't remember, the league began a high-profile crackdown on spider tack as well as other sticky stuff during the 2021 campaign. And when you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense that they would that they would do another crackdown because even after they did that crackdown, there were still people that were attempting to use sticky stuff this past season. I mean, all you have to do is look at somebody's, uh, you know, look at somebody's uh, hat, uh, you know, like a pitcher's hat and see that there's a mark on the pitcher's hat. And if they keep touching it, they're not touching it to wipe off sweat. They're touching it to, uh, to, try, to try and put something on the baseball. It's exactly. obvious. And I saw that happen quite a few times last season too, not just not just during Red Sox games, but particularly Yankee games. I know there was one. Uh, I think Garrett Cole might have done it a couple of times. I think he did. Because <laughs> didn't didn't he used to use spider tack a whole bunch? He used to use something. Yeah, maybe it was that. Yeah, I remember he used to use spider tack before he signed with the Yankees. And then, ironically, he signed with the Yankees the very same year that they uh, uh, that they started that whole crackdown. 
and you know he's been a different Garrett Cole since signing with the Yankees. But uh, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that they're starting this up again after some of the suspicious uh, incidents that we saw last year. Right. Uh, in the NFL, uh, I got to tell you, Sean Payton, he's putting together one hell of a, uh, of a coaching staff out there in, uh, in, in Denver. They've hired Vance Joseph, their former head coach, as their defensive coordinator, uh, who originally was with the Cardinals last season before the Cardinals then hired Jonathan Gannon as their head coach. And now Vance, Vance Joseph beats out Matt Patricia as Matt Patricia was going, was in the running as well to become the new defensive coordinator as well as Rex Ryan too. Uh, they also hired ex chargers linebacker coach, uh, Michael Wilhoyt as their outside linebackers coach. Um, let's see. He was obviously let go last year after the Chargers defense surrendered a 27 to seven halftime lead to the Jaguars in the wild card round. Uh, the Broncos also hired ex-Vikings linebackers coach Greg Minuski as their inside linebackers coach. They hired Davis Webb as their quarterback coach. Uh, Webb actually was just recently the backup, I believe, for Daniel Jones. Not too long ago, if I remember correctly. Also, uh, looks like they have also hired Joe Lombardi to be part of their offensive staff. I don't know exactly what the role, what the title of the role is, if he's the offensive coordinator or if he's like the quarterback coach or something. But he will be – oh, wait, no. They already had the quarterback coach in, Dave, in Davis Webb. Uh, he will be part of their offensive staff in some sort of way. So it really looks like uh, Sean Payton is really putting together the staff that he's been that he's been looking for. Uh, also, the Arizona Cardinals, uh, along with Jonathan Gannon, they have hired Eagles linebackers coach Nick Rallis as their defensive coordinator. Uh, so now the Eagles not only do they have to. Not only do they have to find a new offensive and defensive coordinator, now they have to find a new linebackers coach. Uh, The Cardinals also hired Browns quarterbacks coach Drew Petzing as their new offensive coordinator after finishing his first season as the Browns quarterbacks coach. Uh, He had previously served as Kevin Stefanski's tight ends coach in Cleveland as well. Uh, He also served as a wide receiver coach in Minnesota where he worked alongside Jonathan Gannon uh, when Gannon was originally on the Minnesota coaching staff. And Tennessee, well, let's just put it this way. They have basically opened the floodgates in terms of releases, releasing Robert Woods, uh, Taylor Lewan, they released. They also released a veteran kicker, Randy Bullock. 
I mean, they're basically clearing out everybody. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Ryan Tannehill is the next one to be released. Right. And also, Diana Rossini of ESPN reports that the Jets believe that they would be a Super Bowl contender with Derek Carr at quarterback. I mean... Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Really? Yeah. You really believe that you guys would be a Super Bowl contender if you bring in Derek Carr? It's going to take more than Derek Carr. Yeah, it's going to take more than Derek Carr to turn around that team. I mean, yeah, they had a good they had a good year last year, and many would argue that the only thing they were missing was a competent quarterback. Carr is Carr is a competent quarterback, but still, you're going to need more than Derek Carr to be a Super Bowl yeah. contender. I mean, it's then again, though it is you know it is ESPN. It's ESPN loves ESPN loves their New York sports teams. So, uh, yeah, I can't say I'm really surprised, but I mean, come on, it's right. It's just ridiculous. Uh, also, look out for Jalen Ramsey of the Rams. He may be on the trade market as the Rams are looking to try and recuperate some of their draft picks that they have lost. Uh, They already have released Bobby Wagner after one year on the team. So now it looks like Jalen Ramsey may be the next one out the door. Got less than a minute. Yeah. Uh, With that being said, thank, thank you to everybody for joining me tonight. Thank you to Lou, Diane, and JB. Uh, what's it called Thursday night the Survivor 44 recap podcast will begin uh, hosted by Jim Early and obviously next next Saturday night we will not be back for Sports Whispers Weekly we will be back uh, two Saturdays from today uh, where we will discuss everything that's happened in the last two weeks of sports Uh, so once again Thursday night Survivor 44 recap podcast. Everybody have a good rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys, well, Thursday night for the Survivor 44 recap podcast.